Welcome to Thriller Vault, where thriller writers tell their favorite stories. I'm your host, Phil Williams, and I'm here with my co-host, action-adventure author, Luke Richardson. How are you doing, Luke? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Before we get into the story, I'd like to mention that Luke has a free box set on his website, LukeRichardsonAuthor.com. And I have two free ebooks on my website, philwbooks.com. If you prefer to listen as you are right now, we also have tons of audiobooks. Just search your audiobook retailer for Luke Richardson or Phil M. Williams. So, Luke, go ahead and uh, you can get right into the story. Great. I'm excited to share this story with you. And, Phil, at the end of the story today, I'm not going to ask you whether it's true or not, because it becomes quite clear that it's not true. I'm going to ask you okay. what it's about. Okay, so you're, I'm going to ask you what the story's about, because you could approach this in various different ways. I think a good story you can always sort of approach in different ways. So we'll see what you think when we okay. get to the end of it. <laughs> I can okay. tell you're excited now to, to get into this, yeah. No, okay, sounds good. Go. Sounds good. You're currently running 15 minutes behind schedule, the assistant says. The voice is mocking and synthetic. It's calm, reflective, a male voice that sounds soft, without an ounce of friendliness. I do my best to ignore it, as usual, but it's there, right between my ears, like always, reminding me of the obvious. I push my way down the stairs and into the Metropolitan Transport. Numbers tumble across the screens, announcing the arrival and departure of trains. The screens are obsolete now, really, with the assistance everyone has implanted. The assistant is there to help us with life's little inconveniences every step of the way, at least, that's what the adverts said. What they didn't mention was your inability to silence the damn thing. Ever. You need platform nine, the assistant chirps. Turn left and then follow the passage as far as you can. I know, I know, I mutter. It's not that the information isn't useful. Sure, it's useful. It's just I miss silence. I haven't heard silence for 12 years now the assistant says, reading my thoughts and delivering the answer before I've even asked the question. You first had me installed over 12 years ago. Of course, I've been upgraded several times since then to deliver more accurate results for you. Will they ever do an update that teaches you when I want some quiet? I think. I'm sorry, I don't understand the question, the assistant says. Would you like me to report this to the development team? No, I hiss, running down the passage now. A front of warm air travels the other way, pushed through the tunnel by one of the thundering trains. You'd have thought, in this day and age, they would have invented a way to make public transport more comfortable. The Metropolitan Railway has been running every day since the early 2020s, the assistant chimes. At the time, it was one of the most technologically advanced public transport systems in the state. I dash down the moving staircase. At least here, with the rushing of passing trains, the assistant isn't too distracting. If you'd like to travel in comfort, the assistant says, I'd recommend considering a private vehicle purchase. That way you can travel in style without even breaking a sweat. Say yes and I'll start compiling a list for you. I don't know why the assistant says things like this. It knows my financial situation. I can barely afford the apartment, let alone start paying out for private vehicles. Great strides have recently been made in producing affordable private transport, the assistant says. I found an article on the subject. Say yes and I'll read it to you. I reach platform nine and stare into the vacant eye of the tunnel. I look at the screen to see when the next train will arrive. 
As usual, the assistant gets there first. The next train will arrive in 45 seconds. Metropolitan Transport Limited, apologise for your wait. Would you like to lodge a formal complaint? Light appears in the tunnel, and a moment later the train roars into the station. It breaks with savage efficiency. I see people standing inside, struggling to stay upright. For a moment I remember the trains of my childhood. They used to have seats which allowed some level of comfort while travelling. Now everyone has to stand. With a government grant allowing you to pay over the next 33% of your life, it's possible for you to be the proud owner of your own private transport solution within the next few hours, the assistant says. I can start the application process now. Me and the others on the platform push inside the already packed train. I wedge myself between one person's elbow and another's back. I seize an unoccupied handle. The train accelerates away at breakneck speed. The oppressive smell inside the train brings back memories of last night. It's hazy, to say the least. You returned home a little after midnight, the assistant says. Here's your itemised bill from Pedro's bar. At 18.45, you ordered 500 millilitres of lager. You ordered your second at 19.15. Stop! I hiss out loud without realising I'm doing so. I glance around, but no one pays any attention. They'll all be listening to their own assistants. I once heard a statistic that over 95% of the population have an assistant. The governments are considering making them mandatory. Next year, you'll need an assistant to buy groceries, apply for a job, receive state funding and for journeys of more than 50 miles, my assistant says. The trick, I remind myself, is to try and tune it out. You'll never get it to stop, but sometimes, just sometimes, you can stop listening. Do you fancy more lager today? The assistant chimes. I can reserve your normal table at Pedro's bar or have it delivered to your apartment. I keep my mind clear and the assistant fades into the noise of the rumbling train. Fancy a holiday? The assistant says. Visit Titan. It's said to be the holiday of a lifetime. Think yes and I'll prepare the details and payment options for you. The train slams to a stop, squeezing me against the surrounding people. Again, I question why the machines don't understand comfort. I stop the thought before the assistant starts talking about buying a personal transport solution all over again. Well done, you've made up some time, the assistant says. You're now only 12 minutes behind schedule. The doors hiss open and I, along with most of the people on the train, surge onto the platform. It's shift change, so everyone has somewhere to go. My eyes hurt, it feels like I haven't slept in a week. Maybe more. Getting a great night's sleep is essential to be a happy and productive member of society, the assistant tells me. There are various things you can do in order to try and improve your... Stop! I hiss again. Just stop! The assistant fades. Maybe you'd like a coffee, it says a moment later. Caffeine has been long known to temporarily combat the effects of... Stop! I shout this time. The air of the city wafts against my face as I climb the last set of stairs up to the street. By the time I reach the top, my feet ache. Let me find some new shoes for you, the assistant says. Is comfort your most important attribute? I ignore the assistant and step out into the sunlight. You have a new message from Thomas Dagmar, CEO, TD Programs, the assistant says. I'll read it now for you. Don't read it. I don't want to know, I say. 
I'm sorry, this message is tagged as high priority, which means it's not optional. Reading now. You're late again. Come to my office as soon as you arrive. Seven minutes later, I knock on the door of the CEO's office. Thomas Dagmar's name glitters from a brass plaque. It seems that you have a problem with authority, Thomas Dagmar says, before I've even stepped inside the room. Crossing the office, I think about the best way to respond. On the one occasion, it might be useful to have a series of clever excuses. The assistant stays silent. No, sir, of course not, I reply. There was a problem on the transport. Apologies, I'll make it up at lunchtime, I will. I rub a hand across my face and hope that my eyes don't look as red as they did when I looked in the mirror that morning. Dagmar stays sitting behind his desk. He doesn't invite me to sit, so I stand awkwardly. You're a clever man, he says slowly. Please explain to me. This company employs over 5,000 people, and yet you are the only one who is not able to be at their desk on time. What makes you so special? As Dagmar is speaking, I glance out of the window. The office is on the 60th floor, and through the glass, the city stretches out in the morning smog. Drones buzz like mosquitoes from one building to the next, leaving traces in the mist. Are you even listening? Dagmar roars, his mouth set in an angry snarl. Of course, of course, it won't happen again. I'm, I'm sorry, I say. I try to make it sound like I really mean it, like, like I really do. But I don't think it's worked. Again, the assistant says nothing. Useless. That is one thing we agree about, Dagmar says darkly. It won't happen again because you no longer work for TD programmes. You can collect your things and hand your access cards to the receptionist on your way out. Dagmar's eyes bore into me, willing me to argue. I turn without a word and walk from the corner office. I carry out Dagmar's instructions and think through the implications. I've worked at the company for five years. 1,255 days to be exact, the assistant corrects me. For a while, I was one of the company's top programmers. Having been employed straight from training, I was part of the team that created their most successful program. That was before it happened. Initially, they gave me a week in stasis to acclimatise then prescribed me emotional stabilisers to help me forget. It was all paid for by the company, of course. Dagmar had been nice then, accommodating even. If there's anything we can do, anything you need, let me know, Dagmar himself had said, leading me back to my desk. That night, back at home, I'd asked the assistant to access the subnet for the first time. On the subnet, the assistant can buy anything, from drugs to weapons to sex. I've even heard that you could get someone killed there. That night, I'd asked the assistant to order me something that would help me remember the past. The assistant recommended a drug called Speritin. I threw away the emotional stabilisers and ordered the Speritin. I didn't want to be numb. I wanted to feel. I didn't want to forget. I wanted to remember. Speritin will do that for you, the assistant told me. You can fly and feel at the same time. People say it's just what you need. In the lift down from the 60th floor, I asked the assistant to order alcohol and junk food. Back on the Metropolitan Transport, I had the assistant order five batches of Speritin, my old friend.
I'll get that over to you right away, the assistant says, as though it's nothing. The subnet thanks you for your order. Back at the apartment, the remains of last night still littered the kitchen. Would you like me to arrange for a cleaner? The assistant says. I sink into the sofa and stare at the wall. The assistant had even helped us choose this place. An up-and-coming neighbourhood, it had said, with great value for money. We'd had 18 happy months here. The window liquidises and the delivery drone flies in. A rush of warm air circles the small room for a second before the glass solidifies once more. For a moment I can taste the city. Antibacterial gas, restaurants, fumes. That's the struggle of 50 million people reduced to one wretched odour. The drone drops the delivery on the table and then zips out back through the window. Important notice, the assistant says. Your employment with TD programmes has been terminated. I ignore the assistant and tear open the parcel. I remove the alcohol and the food and then slide the sperritin from its scan-proof package. This time the drug is hiding within a packet of turkey smiles produced from 100% synthetic meat. I'll readjust expenditure for this quarter in line with this update, the assistant says. I slide the sperritin capsule inside the atomizer and place it against my forearm. Without another thought, I press the button. I'll ready your resume and notify the bank, the assistant says. The voice is now a little further away. There's a position you might be interested in at... The assistant says before fading out altogether. I take a breath. All I can hear now is the air streaming into my lungs. I exhale and hear the air passing out through my nose. I wait a moment, half expecting the assistant to interrupt. They don't. It's just... silence. I look at the empty cans and packets around the apartment. The assistant doesn't offer to find me a cleaner. I touch my overgrown hair. The assistant doesn't offer to find me a barber. I take another deep breath and revel in it. Silence. I pour myself a drink, lie back on the sofa and let my thoughts flow. They pour out like water from behind a broken dam. I remember us here together. She was in the kitchen making us dinner. I look towards the kitchen now and without the assistant to interrupt, I can remember the scene as clear as the world around me. I see her there, pulling plates from a cupboard. She looks at me. She smiles. I can see that she's pregnant now too, her belly pressed against a long dress. I feel my face ache with the alien movement of a smile. Tears run abated down my face. Don't, don't go, don't go, I shout as the memory fades. Don't go. I grab the atomizer and administer another dose. The memories run free, unshackled. Lying back and without the assistant to remind me of the time day wears into night. With the dying light, the memories become darker too. I think of Thomas Dagmar. We want to help you forget, he had said after she'd gone. All he really wanted was for me to finish the project that was making him wealthy. He never cared about me. Aggressively this time, I administer another dose of Sperritin. My mind goes completely blank. Happy, warm and blank. You have to wake up now, 
The assistant drags me from my sleep. It doesn't sound as loud or as crisp as usual, but it's still there. I sit up. I'd slept on the sofa. A debris of cans and packets of food lie around me. It's urgent, it's urgent that you wake up now, the assistant says. There's a news report you must hear. Play it, I say, croakily, knowing the assistant won't give up if it thinks something's essential. I grab the atomizer and slide in another vial of spiritin. As soon as I've heard this, I'm going to get rid of the assistant all day. The assistant reads the story. With the atomizer against my arm, I freeze. My mouth suddenly feels as though it's been baking in the sun. Read, read that again, I stutter. Without delay, the assistant does what I ask. Businessman Thomas Dagmar was murdered at his home last night. The police believe the killing to be a contract assassination with origins in the subnet. They are currently searching the digital records and are hoping to make arrests later today. I blink several times. My thoughts move through my mind like a multi-vehicle pile-up, the ones I'd seen in pictures before autonomous vehicles were standardised. My thoughts are so confused, so chaotic, that the assistant doesn't even know what to do. Several minutes pass as I try to piece together what's happened. Did I access the subnet again last night? Could I really have ordered Thomas Dagmar's murder? There are two people at the door, the assistant says. The entry buzzer sounds, echoing harshly through the apartment. I climb unsteadily to my feet and cross to the door. On the way, I steal a glance at myself in the mirror. I look a mess. Red blotches bracket my eyes and my hair is greasy. It's lucky I don't have to go out today. I thumb the button and the lock disengages. I open the door and reveal two men standing outside. They must register my confusion because one of them starts to speak. Sir, we're police officers. We need to ask you some questions about Thomas Dagmar, your former employer. My heart thunders. Do they know about the Sperritin? I close the door, reducing the officer's field of vision as much as possible. I look them up and down. Sure, they look like police officers, but not the type I've seen for a very long time. Their black and blue uniforms are like those out of the cop shows I used to watch decades ago. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm confused. It could be the Sperritin still working its way out of my system. All these things have side effects. One of the officers steps forward and shoves a boot between the door and the jam. You're going to have to come with us, he says. I say nothing, expecting the assistant to give me some advice. Typically, when actually needed... It stays quiet. Unable to see an alternative, I agree. A few hours later, I'm sitting in an interview room. The place, like the officers who brought me here, looks like something from the long past. I can't help but think back to the cop shows I used to watch as a child, as I said. There's a clock on the wall. It's one of those retro ones where the hands move around the face. For what feels like a really long time, I try and work out what the time is but it's been so long since I've read one of those, I can't remember. I bet they don't even teach that in schools anymore. To my right, there's a mirror. I'm certain it's one of those windows that just looks like a mirror from one side. As I say, I really did used to watch a lot of cop shows. 
the door behind me clicks with the sound of a mechanical lock disengaging. A man walks in. He's a plain clothes detective, but the clothes he's wearing again look strangely dated. I actually remember my dad wearing a similar style for work. The doctor seems to think that you're not well, the detective says, taking a seat across the table from me. He says you've not been taking your meds, and as such are not up to this interview. He glances at the mirror on the wall, confirming to me that we're not alone. I wonder who else is behind there. I stay silent and glance down at my hands. I say that's your fault. He points a finger at me as though it's a weapon. You've been given the medication and you've chosen not to take it, so I'm going to proceed with the interview anyway. The detective thumbs a button on the oldest looking recording device I've ever seen. Interview started, the detective says, followed by the date, time and year. I sit up straight, shock moves through each of my vertebrae like a lightning strike. Sorry, say that again, I shout, almost banging the table. Interview started June 12th, 2023. Him saying the year slaps me around the face like a physical blow. What do you mean? I'm angry now. I thump the table again. It's not 2023. 2023 was years, decades ago. Suddenly there's a banging at the door behind me. The lock clicks and the door swings open. Hello, doctor, the detective says, looking up at the intruder. I insist that you stop this interview right now. The voice comes from behind me. It sounds like it's almost in my head. It's a male voice. It's calm, reflective and soft, but without an ounce of friendliness. This is my patient, the voice says. I've been working with him for several years, and without the meds, he's not up to this interview. So, I ask you, Phil, what is the story about? <laughs> I like how the, I like the dystopian aspect of the, of the story, how, how, how people literally couldn't go anywhere without thinking, you know, without the, the assistant telling them, you know, what to do and whatnot. And it's not, it's not totally unlike how we, you know, how people walk around with their phones and they're facing their phones and whatnot. So it's, uh, it's not implanted at the moment, but I, I'm, t I'm, t I could be totally wrong, but I think that, you know, he had something implanted, maybe experimental, or maybe he was dealing with some, some, medical issues and and that has sort of uh uh continued on and 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 has, has made him somewhat mental see that was my sort Wrong of initial thought with it that it was a that it was this dystopian futuristic story that um in which this guy you know a bit like big brother uh 1984 in which winston right. is is, right. is our is our protagonist and he's there living in this world and right. he's quite a lonely character right. and we we realize about him as we go on then I thought, wouldn't it be fun if it wasn't really the future, if it was really in the present, but our guy is so confused that he thinks it's a futuristic time and he doesn't realise so until all, the end. So the crazy voice is all in his head. Uh, the crazy voice yeah, so is all in his head. Yeah, so he thinks it's this assistant. Right. Uh, but, uh, and, he's, and he's living in the future, but really he's not. He's living in the present time, but he's just got this inner monologue that won't shut up. And he, maybe, maybe you've, Maybe you say that that was some treatment that the that the that the psychotherapist has said this is this is an assistant this is supposed to be helpful right. to you you know to try hypnosis. and help him compartmentalize this voice 
Yeah. Right. Or maybe it's a fiction that he's told himself about. Yeah. It just, and I think I like stories like this. There goes my, they have lots of levels that you can pick up, you can pick apart and sort of think about, you know, because there's the bit about the tragedy in there. He seems to have lost something, lost his partner. And that's the reason that he's been on this trajectory or yeah, I suppose maybe it's a red herring because the story isn't really about that. I tried to send it off on a different, on a different level, but no, I I, I, I like your version of it, <laughs> my version of it. Yeah, that makes it actually makes a lot of sense. My because my my initial inclination, of course, is to go the dystopian route of like maybe he's crazy, had a medical, you know, a medical they did some experimental and you know it sort of messed up his brain. But yeah, mm. yours makes a lot more sense that he's yeah, you know somewhat. I, had a mental break and thinks that there's because if you think about it, people do have voices in their heads when I mean, we all actually have a voice in our head. Oh, I talk to myself all the time. Some people think I'm of writing it this is. story. I'm going, I'm going, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, that's For good. Sure. That's good. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But also yeah. it got me thinking yeah. this story and I don't know if you've ever happened to, when this has ever happened to you, where you've, you've woken up and you've gone, I'm sure this week is supposed to be longer than this and it's Friday already. Or you look at the calendar and it's the it's the 20th mm-hmm. of the month and you were sure it was only the first of the month two days ago. Time time has this sort of pernicious way of moving that you can't always track. Yeah. Sometimes it goes quick, sometimes it goes slow. So actually, it, right. for you to think it's the, the, a year that it isn't, if you didn't have the technology and stuff for you to think that the year it isn't, isn't that far away? It isn't impossible. You wouldn't have to be totally crazy to be confused about what day it is or what year it is or what's going on. If you were isolated in a certain place, would you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Just the other night, Denise, I had company and I was like, yeah, I'm 45 years old. Denise was like, you're 47. I was like, thanks for that. Appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, But but I I just I was just so used to thinking of myself as forty five, but you know years have gone by since then. I've had you know That's birthdays brilliant. and whatnot. There's the time's up. <laughs> yeah. I think if you're still saying so, that when you're yeah, fifty five, <laughs> we'll yeah maybe we, gotta, we have a problem. Yeah. But you know the other thing about time that's really interesting to me, uh, you know I actually have a I actually have a, a calendar on my wall that is my life in weeks. So I put I mark off a little box every week. And it shows like, it shows like all the weeks I've lived on this calendar. And then on the, on the back end of the calendar, it's like, I've graded out to the point where is, is the exact lifespan of a male. Uh, and then I've got this and it's sort of shocking. Like I said, I'm 47 years old, but it's shocking to see this short little white span of time that's left. Mm. There's definitely more of the stuff that's been marked off. Then, because I think the the lifespan of a male is seventy six or seventy seven. I can't remember the mm. exact number, but so I've marked off forty seven, and then I've marked off. I think it was like ninety to seventy seven, and I've got this little window of time left to to live. And to me, it puts things in perspective. Oh. What I noticed about getting older is that when I was younger, like let's say I was ten years old, and a year went by, well, that year seemed like a long time. That's ten percent of my entire life. Well, at you know, let's say at at 40 years old, a year goes by, well, that's a much smaller fraction. What is it like? Mm. Uh, two and a half percent of what it was one out of four. Yeah, about two and a half percent of my life has gone by as opposed to 10 percent. So as we get older, time speeds up because our perception um, is changing as we as we age. But that's one of the things I think is, is really kind of interesting about how 
when we're young, it seems like we have all the time in the world. And then as soon as we get older, the time starts to speed up and it seems like we don't have much time at all. Absolutely. And that's what I wanted to sort of play with this story, that idea of, and also the idea of an unreliable narrator. I don't know. I, in fact, I've read a couple of your books, Phil, and you, you do like writing about sort of flawed characters or characters with a, they've got a, um, that they're sort of a unlikable hero, you know, not an unlikable hero. That's, that's not the right way to say it, but you know what I'm, sure. I'm trying to get at, you know, they're, they're sort of your every unlikable man, but they're a bit totally flawed off. as well. <laughs> yeah and i tried, and tried that with this totally guy off, that he was that he was an unreliable we thought he was a reliable narrator in the first half of the story but it turns out as the more the story yeah. goes the less reliable he becomes and how he's taken us on this this bit of a journey that isn't as isn't perhaps as as trustworthy as we think it might be in those first few paragraphs yeah, see, I was gullible. I was be, I was too trustworthy. You had me, uh, <laughs> you had me fooled. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, go. thank you so much, uh, Luke, for for the story. Appreciate it. it was really good. I, I actually very much enjoyed dystopian stories, even though this was uh, this is even this is even more dystopian because the because the dystopian <laughs> was was directed at me, not actually at the character. There you go. It's a but, play uh, on but, yeah, I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> exactly. So thank you uh, to the audience for listening and watching Thriller Vault. Be sure to like and subscribe, and I hope you all come back next week for another Thriller story.